0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, everybody's got the bad boss story and I definitely have one and there was a quote in the book though, that I wanted to mention first, which was, I thought it was just really powerful. It just brought this whole concept home to me and the author said the minute a leader allows himself or herself to become the primary reality people worry about rather than reality being the primary reality, you have a recipe for mediocrity or worse. I would say probably worse. This is Pittsburgh, a place where a rich heritage of making things and a fierce independent nature come together to create a thriving entrepreneurial community. Whether you're a small business owner looking for ideas or inspiration, or you're an enthusiastic supporter of local businesses, you'll find it here. I'm your host, Darren Villano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Today, my guest is Mike Sharp. He's the owner of the Sharp Insurance Agency. For those that are listening and following along with the podcast, might remember Mike from being on the show previously. He was on season five, episode 19, where I interviewed him, just like I interview other small business owners, local small business owners and entrepreneurs. And today he's back on the show as a guest host on this special season where we talk about some business topics. Mike, thanks for being back on, appreciate it.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited about this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things we're going to talk about today is mindset. That's going to be the the focus of this particular episode. A few weeks back, I was talking to Mike on the phone. I gave him a call and he told me about this book that he had just listened to. I think it it was an audio book that you listened to, right? Correct. And I was just getting ready to read the book. It's called Mindset by Carol Dweck, PhD. And I've heard a lot about this book and it was funny that he mentioned it. So I thought it would be a good topic to talk about for this particular episode. So thanks again for joining me as a guest host for coming on, for talking about this topic. And I'm curious how you first came across the book yourself. Did, you know, was it a recommendation? Was it something that you heard on a podcast or online? How did you come across the book?
1: Yeah. So actually one of the companies I used to work for gave everyone the book and, uh, at the time, I was like, great. I threw it in a drawer and didn't pay attention. Um, then as I listened to more people and started learning more about the book and, and what was in it, I was like, I got to read this book. So uh, we downloaded it and listened to it on a long car ride, finished the whole thing in one one car ride. So it was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, it was through podcast and you know the company I used to work for recommended it.
0: Uh, that's cool. Sometimes it takes a couple of times to be introduced to a, something before you actually dig into it. I've I've had the same thing happen. For me, I mean, I've just heard... So many people talk about it through the years. I've heard it recommended. And lately I heard it mentioned on a couple of different podcasts that I follow. And I thought, okay, this is a sign I, I need to check this book out. So, and it was just, again, coincidence that we got on the phone and started talking about it. So I'm gonna introduce this topic for those listening. For those people who aren't familiar with the book, I'll give you a very, very quick overview. I'm not gonna go over the whole book or anything. Don't worry. I'm just gonna to touch on the main premise of the book so that you could follow along in this conversation. Because even if you haven't read the book, and I do highly recommend that you read the book, but if you haven't, you still could definitely follow along this conversation. You can get a lot out of this conversation. But essentially, the primary premise of the book or the focus of the book is on what I think is really a simple concept, which is this whole fixed mindset versus growth mindset. That's really the underlying premise of the book. And if you, I'll explain what that is. And if you just simply follow that, you can really get a lot out of this, but the fixed mindset is essentially a mindset that a person could have. And by the way, a person can have both of these mindsets. I think the author says that in the book that although she presents it sort of in a either or scenario, by no means does this a person only have one and not the other. Most of us, pretty much all of us have some version of both of these things. But essentially the fixed mindset is a mindset where you see things as either or, you see things as, almost like you have it or you don't. So like in terms of creativity, you're either creative or you're not, or in terms of intelligence, you're intelligent or you're not, you're gifted or you're not. It's sort of this belief that once you've been labeled, whether somebody labeled you or you labeled yourself, or you took a test and you scored really high that you have this information, this validation that you've now reached a certain level that you've been dubbed having that level and and it's unchangeable. It's like now that's what you are. Where the growth mindset on the other hand is a mindset that's it's very different. It says, we're all on a journey going someplace. We're all very malleable and changeable. We're all learning. Failure is nothing more than learning. And we're all on the road to some better place. Hopefully we're improving our lives. So in other words, we can all become better creators. We can all become more intelligent with work and practice. We can all become better athletes if we put the work and effort into it. It doesn't guarantee everybody's gonna be an all-star, but it just means if you put some work and effort into it, you can get better than you are. So I'm curious what, when you came across, when you first dug into the book, I guess, like I said, it was audio, what was your reaction to that You know, fixed mindset versus growth mindset? Did that, did like a light bulb come on for you when you heard that? It's a pretty simple concept. I mean, had you heard it before or maybe not in that exact way, what was your initial reaction to it?
1: Yeah, I mean, For me, it was just about the ability to change, right? She's talking about the fixed mindset and how in the book she discusses, like people label us as like, you know, I'm really bad at remembering names. I think it's the example they gave and how because of that, now I run around in life going, I'm really bad at names. I'll never remember anybody's name and how like that's my fixed mindset. And in reality, like, No, I can be better than that. I can get better at remembering names. I don't have to be stuck with that. And so that was kind of a light bulb for me. Like, wait a minute, if I can do that, I can pretty much do anything else, right? I can remember other things or I can remember phone numbers or I can be better at different things. That fixed mindset of like, I'm just bad at remembering names. doesn't have to be who you are. And then the growth side of things, I think I've always believed in that. I just never put it into a book or a perspective. I've always been kind of like, you know, we can do better, we can do different, you know, there's, I can definitely learn that, I can learn this. So I really related to the growth part of it. And then the whole, the whole concept of the the mindset in general really changed a lot for me after I read the book about the outlook, especially on business with relationships and different things like that. But like I said, for the most part, it was, it really helped me fix and change my fixed mindset. Because like you said in the beginning, Right there's both, right? We're a little bit of both. And so just kind of understanding like I can be one and then I can change and I can adapt to be something different. So I think that was, that was pretty much the exciting part.
0: Yeah. Like you, I mean, I've, it was sort of the first time I heard this concept delivered in this way, but yet it felt familiar in some way. Maybe I heard it said in a different way, but it just, it was very concise and explained really well. So I I could really follow along and, and the light bulb did kind of come on too. Like, yeah, okay. Cause I could look back at my life. And when I was younger, there were things I had more of a fixed mindset about. And again, part of that is from the labeling. Like you said, you you get told you're good or not good at something. And then the self-talk kicks in. Well, we start talking to ourselves about, we repeat that almost. And we forget, We it's like subconscious. We don't even realize we're doing it. And it's like, yeah, I'm not really good at this. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this, or I'm good at that. Or I'm, yeah, I'm really good at that. And It's like, we don't even have validation. Sometimes we're just telling ourselves these stories and it's just reading this, like breaks you out of that mindset for a second where you could step back and think, wait a minute, why do I think the way I think? It's like, that's, I think that's the power of putting it in this format is that to make you really step back, examine your own thoughts, examine your values, examine your beliefs, question why you think a certain way. And then as you look at your life, you can say, yeah, I'm, I am a little bit more of a fixed mindset in that area and more growth mindset in that area. And I, I'm, I was glad she wrote that in the book that all of us are some version. And it's also a spectrum too. Not only are all of us some version of this, but if one extreme is very, very fixed and the other extreme is very, very growth, there's a lot of middle ground. And if the, the needle is probably somewhere in the middle for all of us in different areas. So it's not, it could even be a little bit of a mixture, but the book is written, as an either or type of framework, just to get you to compare and contrast the differences. So that was valuable. So yeah, I had uh, a lot of good insights into reading it and I could see a lot of good application, just even the awareness of it can wake you up to the fact that this exists. And then what did you think about her point of that we could change too, that we're, if you evaluate yourself and you find that you're more fixed in one area or more growth in another area, whatever, It's also changeable. It's not static. You're not labeling yourself because that's another form of label. Like I'm fixed and I can't change it. No, the point of knowing this is that you can actually take steps to fix it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that was the breakthrough is noticing that you can change from being in a fixed mindset to being in a growth mindset. It just takes the awareness to realize, wait a minute, I'm in this fixed mindset. How do I get out of that? How do I now develop this growth mindset? And, And that was probably like the biggest breakthrough for me when I was reading the book or listening to the book, going through and just understanding like, wait a minute, I don't have to be stuck this way, right? Like the names, I don't have to not remember names. I can do things, do tasks, do small things every day to help me be a little bit better as long as A, I'm aware of it and B, I know that like I want to get better, right? So the idea that like, okay, you are this way, the awareness, the book lets you know like, hey, this is where I'm at right now, but I don't have to stay here. Like you can do different things to be better.
0: Yeah. I think one of the things about knowing about this difference and embracing the growth mindset is that you can change. It encourages you to, to try to get better because the fixed mindset is if things are one way or not, if you're gifted or not, it, it actually discourages challenge. That's one of the things you pointed out in the book too, is that you're discouraged from taking on challenge because you really can't win. Because if you're already gifted and you believe you're gifted, then doing more, taking on more challenge, if you mess up, could invalidate that thinking that you have. So if you put yourself on a pedestal to be really good at something and then you fail, now you're really destroyed because you don't think you can get back there. And if you are already, if you think you're gifted or you labeled yourself as gifted or somebody's labeled you as gifted, and then you take on something challenging, and even if you succeed at that, well, it doesn't do a whole lot to boost you because you already felt like you were gifted to begin with. So it's kind of interesting that really the growth mindset is the one where challenge is where you accept it, where you say, yeah, you know, cause I can't, no matter how good I am at something, I can get better at it. So whether you're poor at something and you've, you've become really good at self evaluation, you said, you know, I'm just not really good at this thing. Maybe it's sports, maybe it's relationships, maybe it's whatever it is, you can try to get better. Even if you think you're really good, there's another level to be obtained. It's basically this notion, this, the whole growth mindset is this notion that no matter how good you are, you can always be better.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing was the labeling of others to ourselves, right? So like I think in the book she talks about, you know, it starts as we're kids, right? People tell you, hey, you're really good at this as a kid. You're really good at that as a kid. And so you grow up and you're like, yeah, I'm already really good at that. Like I don't need to change my mindset about this or that. And, they, and conversely, they did the same thing when you're not good at things, right? Like you're not good at counting or you're not good you know, at X. And so we, we label others with the fix or the growth mindset and so, because people have told us that over time, we're just like, yeah, that's just the way I am. I can't change. I'm stuck in this robotic phase, right? Where it's like, no, wait, I can, even though other people have said, you know, whatever they said, I don't have to stay that way. I don't have to be that way. I can change. And I thought I thought that was really interesting too, how, you know, others label us. And then we're stuck in that mindset because that's what everyone has told us we are.
0: Yeah, and and speaking of labeling, she had a section in there on parenting and coaches too. And I'm, I want to get your thoughts on this, which is that parents who mean well, will sometimes label their kids as being good at something or gifted at something because we're trying to compliment them. So they're we see that they're trying and we say, wow, you know, you're really good at roller skating or you let them hit the baseball for the first time. And they, you know, they, they hit the first couple balls and you know, we tell them that they're good and we boost, try to boost their ego. We wanna encourage, we're doing, it's all for the good reasons, right? We're trying to boost their ego. We're trying to encourage them to keep trying because we see effort. We wanna reward the effort. So it's, it's this innate thing that we have as parents. And I know you're a parent as well that we compliment our kids and we tell them they're doing great. But she talks about in the book how sometimes that can be a detriment that could actually hinder progress or it could create a fixed mindset because with some children, they hear that and they sort of get this label, it becomes ingrained into who they are that, oh yeah, I am really good at baseball or I am really good at wrestling. And then the moment that their level goes up and they play in a bigger league or they play with bigger kids and they lose, then they're destroyed. Cause they're like, wait a minute, my whole identity was I was great at this particular sport or I was great academically. And now I just advanced to this this new class or whatever it is. And now, I'm among people that are also really good and I'm and and the competition has gotten stronger. And now I feel like I'm not as good. And that fixed, they don't know how to reconcile that because the fixed mindset says you're either good or you're not. So then they tend to go back to, well, I guess I'm not. And then the whole thing is 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 completely, you know, upset. And it's like, how do you then explain to them that it's not black and white like that? And I think that's what she was trying to say, that as parents, rather than label our kids, we're better off trying to reward the effort into what they're doing. You know, if we see them really trying, it's it's the compliments are really on the effort, how they ba- bounce back from failure, how they bounce back from losing, because no matter what sports you play, you're gonna lose a game eventually, you know, you're gonna not score well in a test academically. So at some point, you're, you know, it's, it's really about the process, encouraging the process, rewarding the effort and doing that instead of rewarding the result. And as a parent, I'm wondering what, your thoughts are
1: on that as well. Yeah, I mean, like you said, I have two kids. So you know, I have one that's really good at academics and I have another one that's really good at sports. So, I mean, it hit us like perfectly. And we were those people, right? We were telling our oldest son, like, you're really smart. You're gonna go really far and you're gonna do everything. And as he got into high school, it did get challenging, right? And he did get frustrated because we labeled him with this, hey, you're already really smart. You know, you're genius. You're gonna do well. And I guess academically, it's a little bit more difficult than what is sports, right? With sports, you know, you have teammates, you kind of, the winning is the result, right? Academically, the grades are the result, but it's a different kind of struggle. So, you know, with our kids, it's funny because we listen to this book with our kids. We are in a long car trip, right? So kids, sure, they have iPods on, they're doing whatever they're doing, but if you're in the car for six hours, they're going to listen. So they, they actually listen to the book too. And, uh, we, we talked about it as a family, that, that mindset and, uh, you know, with my son with the sports, he's a wrestler. It's funny that you mentioned that. So, you know, there's a lot of failure in wrestling, right? So, you know, he kind of understands that that mindset and that growth mindset of the labels within that. But for us, once we kind of both listened to the book, it was, again, it was the awareness of like what we were doing. It's kind of late. My kids are old, but, you know, we still got there and, uh, and we changed that, that way of thinking and, and how we kind of like, hey, you're really good at this. You're really good at that. Like, hey, you can still... Do a little bit better like there's gonna be people out there that are gonna challenge you and you always have to work hard um, and I think that's the moral of the story right It's that you go from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset now once I'm in that growth mindset like you said the challenge begins right how do I change the behavior that I was doing so that I can be a better individual at, at x
0: yeah we have two kids too and they're a bit younger it sounds like younger than your kids but it got me thinking too about what do i say to them and i'm trying to i'm not perfect at it by any means just yet i just read the book so i'm just just trying to apply this but i'm trying to focus more on the effort and the process and the journey and not so much just on the result especially with my oldest son i have two boys and he's my oldest one especially is very competitive and he gets upset when he loses you know he wants to win at all costs which is a great you know i don't want to totally destroy that that competitiveness in him but you know, at the same time, I want him to know that, you know, when you lose, you can learn from that too. And it's really about the process about about getting better. And so I'm trying to talk to him in a way that focuses more on that and less on, did you win, did you lose? And just dissecting the win and the loss. Although some of that is helpful and important too, but really getting into the process behind it, where improvement can be made, trying to try to elevate the conversation and see that there is not, you know, not to give up just cause you lost, but there's a process here behind this and that everybody is on this journey to some level and we're all trying to get better at something.
1: There's a lot of growth in losing. There's a lot of winning in losing too. And I think when you're a child or even as an adult, right? Like you try something and you fail at it if you get up and try again, right? At least now this time you're trying from experience, right? So uh, there's, a of, there's a lot of growth in winning in losing. And I think that, prepares the mindset for the future, right? So if you're you're losing at sports or, or academics or whatever, right, at least now if you're going to go back and try it again, now you have a little bit more experience, you know, a little bit more what to expect. And, and so there's a lot of winning and losing that most people don't realize.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. And to talk about business or how this applies to business, she's got a whole chapter devoted to business. And the way the book is Broken up, by the way, for anybody listening to this, it's not just a business book, as you could probably tell. It's the whole concept around mindset. And then there's a chapter on a whole variety, there's a chapter for different things. You know, there's a chapter on relationships, how this mindset pertains to relationships. There's a chapter on how it pertains to sports. Of course, business is another section, how to change your mindset. So it's all encompassing around your life. It's not just business, but given that we have a business podcast here, I wanted to bring it back to business and how it applies and one of the things that was mentioned in the book is this how fixed mindset could infiltrate a company is through this what she calls sort of the fallacy of the superstar business leader and another way to think about that too is if you have a business if you own if you own your own business you're an entrepreneur it's trying to hire that superstar person who's going to just come in and and elevate your company there's nothing wrong with looking for talented people but what the message is, is that sometimes there's so much emphasis on the superstar, on finding the ultimate talent that some baggage can come with that talent. And I, I, rem- I remember back in the 1990s, I think it was like McKinsey and company, McKinsey Consulting came up with a, a white paper at the time. And it was all about talent and how businesses should find the most talented people for their teams. And they, it, this article became hugely popular and it was like all the rage. And everybody was talking about how businesses should be like sports teams and find the superstar and pay them like a superstar to come in and run the company or to run some part of the company. It was like sports teams do this all the time. You know, they get the all-star pitcher, they get the all-star quarterback, they pay them top dollar to come in. And you know, we should do that as a business. You should be finding the best CEO or the, the best CMO or whoever to come in and run, run your organization. And what the author in this book talks about is how that backfired you know, a lot after the 1990s that people were doing that. And a lot of these folks that were superstars, not all of them, but a lot of them did have a fixed mindset. They had this belief that they were, what she calls like CEO disease. They felt that they were better than others. They saw people as either having it or not. And they definitely had it because look at me, I'm in this position. They hired me, they're paying me top dollar. You see this on sports teams too, in the professional leagues. And they weren't team oriented and they felt like they could just, kind of bulldoze over everybody in the organization and it created a horrible culture. Again, this isn't always the case, but she pointed out tons of examples where this happened. And I know for me, I had an experience where I worked for a very difficult boss and I was wondering if you ever had a situation where you worked for a company, maybe where you had this, maybe somebody was on your team, whether it was the leader of the company or the leader of your team or a supervisor that had sort of this, this fixed mindset that they were the best, or they could see, they could evaluate everybody and they knew who, who was good and who wasn't. And no matter how much growth somebody exhibited, they already put them in a bucket. You're in this bucket and, you know, you can't really get out no matter what happens. I'm just wondering if you ever had that, had that example in your own life.
1: Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think we all have that labeled terrible boss where they're kind of putting everyone in that bucket. Um, I remember the first company I started selling insurance for, My boss was the exact same way, right? Like he put everybody in those buckets and this is what you could do and this is what you couldn't do. And he kind of put himself on this pedestal. And you've seen how that radiated throughout the organization because it divided everyone instead of everyone trying to work for the common goal. It pit teams and it lasted in the organization for a really long time. Even after he left, it lasted for a really long time. And you saw how because of his actions and the way that he treated Specific people within the organization, it divided everything. And while the company succeeded at that time, over time, you've seen how it was detrimental to the growth of the organization. And even after that person left, there were still some residual effects from it. But I think when you, when you have somebody like that, if you can recognize that, either get yourself out of there or, or take yourself out of that situation within the same company, there's opportunity there for you. But I don't know anybody that ha- hasn't had a boss. Like that.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, everybody's got the bad boss story, yeah. and I definitely have one. And there was a quote in the book, though, that I wanted to mention first, which was I thought it was just really powerful. It just brought this whole concept home to me. And the author said, The minute a leader allows himself or herself to become the primary reality people worry about, rather than reality being the primary reality, you have a recipe for mediocrity or worse. I would say, probably worse. And in my example too, I worked for a corporation and there was a a boss, a leader who was very much a dictator, very much a, a judge of people and put people in categories and buckets. And what this quote brought home for me was, you know, I remembered that in a in a culture like that, there was a lot of fear. And what I noticed the most is people in that environment doing all sorts of things that were irrelevant to the business itself, but we're like self-preservation type things. So whenever you have like a, a dictator type boss or somebody who tries to instill lead by fear, or doesn't really, it doesn't seem that they're putting the business or the customers ahead of everything. They're putting their ego ahead of everything. When you have that scenario, it's amazing how people will scramble to preserve their own status. And then all these weird things start to happen and there's politics start popping up and people do all these strange things to please, the, like the presentations now become an effort to like please the boss instead of solve the problem, like whatever the client problem is. It's like you lose sight of of solving the problem of like, hey, aren't we in business to serve the customer or serve the client or whatever? It's like all of a sudden this weird microculture develops that's all around like sort of surrounding the that figurehead, that personality. And I I saw that myself and I thought to myself, man, all the wasted energy, you know, people pouring about FaceTime and how many minutes they were in the office and whether they were sitting at the desk when he walked by and what they said to him. And did they have all of these like long list of criteria checked off that he wanted to see just because it was his personality to want to have something a certain way. It was just mind blowing to me. And I remember thinking, man, this is just such a waste of time. And we're not getting work done that should be done. And it, you can contrast that with other organizations. And she mentioned some in the book where, you know, debate is, at, it's, it's the opposite where like, it's more of a meritocracy. The, the best ideas win. And the, it doesn't matter if you're junior or if you're senior in an organization, if you have a great idea, you're that's one way you could tell an organization that's that's more transparent and less political is like, are people willing to speak up regardless of their rank in the company, or how long they've been there, do they or how junior they, they may be do they are they willing to share their great ideas or are they willing to point out problems that may be happening and you know wave the red flag that hey look, we got to watch what we're doing here, somebody could get hurt or something could backfire because sometimes people have that information, but they're afraid to speak up that's how you could t- you know do, do companies encourage debate, do they encourage dissent or is dissent you know is it, is it ridiculed and and discouraged and people are afraid to speak up. So like, these are the ways that you could see whether or not an organization is, are they bogged down with pleasing the boss or are they really trying to do the right thing for
1: customers? I think like a lot of it has to do with the boss, right? Like if that leader in this example, like has that growth mindset and instills that amongst our people, you'll notice that it's funny. I went to another company after I left that first company and uh, I got hired and I started working there and I could immediately tell that the culture was like not what was painted to me during the interview process, right? And I'll never forget the, the main person, uh, the boss there, his administrative assistant said, you know, when you're interviewing somewhere, you should interview the support staff because they're going to be the ones that tell you like what the real inner workings of a company is like. And I never forgot that because... Once I was there, you know, then I have all these support staff telling me like, yeah, this happens and this goes on and this goes on. And so like, if you're a new person looking at a new career opportunity and you're like, you know, the company, they always say like, well, is there anything else like we can help you with or talk to you about, you know, might be a little bit out on the ledge to be like, yeah, I'd love to talk with your assistant. Right. But that's going to give you a real insight to the type of organization where you know whether you have that, yes, we can wave the red flag and talk about these things or am I in a situation where, oh no, I have to please this boss and I want to be invited to the company happy hours and, and all that stuff. And so getting an opportunity to see that before you get into an organization is huge. Uh, but once you're there, you probably want to get out of that situation as quick as possible right? because those companies are not, not fun to work at.
0: Yeah, speaking of culture and how we can change it. I know when you started your company, it was just you. I'm not sure if you've hired anybody yet or not. I know that you were talking about it. Great. And so how do you as a business owner think about these topics of, you know, fixed mindset culture versus growth mindset culture in your own organization? And specifically, how do you interview for it? You know, that's tricky because, you know, there is no silver bullet, right? When it comes to interviewing, you know, it's a little bit of a shot in the dark, but, you know, are there questions you could ask? Are there signs that you can look for, whether it's a support staff or a salesperson, whatever it is. I mean, every person in an organization is important to making it work. And the more growth oriented or growth mindset people you can have on staff, the better for your company. So how do you think about that in terms of of who you bring on?
1: I mean, a lot of it for me is, do they have the same kind of motivators that I have, right? Everybody's motivated differently. I'm motivated in a very strong one way. And I look at things, in that mirror, right? And so, you know, like we hired someone back in January, interviewed, I think, five people for the position. And that person that we hired just had a lot of the same attributes and, and goals and aspirations that I had that um, that helped me. It's funny because, you know, I spent a lot of years interviewing new financial people, right, to hire for this company and, and do that. And so I had a lot of experience interviewing people. I probably interviewed over 500 people throughout several years of, of hiring. So you've seen all it's, different
0: motivations and all different yeah, reasons for people wanting a job.
1: Right, right. And you can kind of weed through the the nonsense, right? You can tell when someone's just kind of showing up and going through the motions or if they're just flat out, not what their piece of paper says they are, how they are in general. But one thing that I, I picked up from uh, one of the companies I worked for was this kind of internal versus external motivation. And I'm not, you know, internal people kind of, are motivated by things that the outside world can't control, right? They they put all their heart into it. They did the best they can. And that was it, right? They're they, they completely happy with that. External people needed that external gratification, like, hey, great job, sticker on the board kind of thing. And I was always a very highly external person. I like the company awards. I like to see my name, uh, you know, at the top of the leaderboard. And so a lot of those same attributes are, are things that I look for when I, when I want to hire. So it's funny, we're going through an interviewing phase right now where we're looking to hire on another person. And uh, those are a lot of the things that I look for. So I think when you look at that, you start to think, okay, how do I think, right? Because I want to work with people that are like me, right? It's going to make my life a lot easier. They don't have to be exactly like me. I want different ideas. I want different people to come in and contribute to the organization. But are their main principles, their main goals, their main are they aligned with you? And are other they words? aligned with, with what I think and how I think? And so from there, it's great. Now we can we have the same goals and ideas. So now we can I can listen to what you have to say and see how that contributes because we we're kind of aligned and agree. Like your thought. Might not been something that I ever thought of, but is a phenomenal idea. It's completely in line with what we want the organization to have, and so those are a lot of the things that I look for when when interviewing.
0: Yeah, and I think that as she mentions in the book, I mean, some of this stuff you can seek out in an interview. Like for example, is the person you're interviewing, you know, are they teacher oriented? In other words, are they usually the people that are willing to to show others, to help others, bring them along? You know, do they have any experience? being a, an advisor, a mentor, it could be informal. This could be an informal role. I don't mean that they have to be a school teacher. I just mean, do they have, have they had a role? Do they have a passion for showing others how something works? Because that alone typically can point you in the direction of something with a growth mindset. Do they do growth mindset types of things? So in other words, do they, are they always trying to get better? Are they trying to learn? Are they trying to, you know, do they, when you ask them about fears that they might've had, are they open, transparent? And also, instead of just dwelling on the failure, are they willing to, or able to talk about how it improved them or made them better or what they learned from it? Do they see failure as a stepping stone or as a a way to learn rather than the end in and of itself? So I think through like some behavioral questions, you can sort of ferret out. It's not perfect, as we said, you know, when you're doing a interview, it's a little bit of a sterile environment. You're not seeing the person in action, but you can ask questions and try to get out some stories of different things they did in different jobs, different things they do in their life, how they approach things. And sometimes you can tell whether the person is fixed or growth oriented. And I think that can be helpful. The other thing too, is not every organization does this and small companies typically don't do this, which is, you know, there's there's different versions of like personality tests or different tests that, and this has become more popular, especially with bigger companies where they'll do the traditional interview, but they'll also test and it could be a psychological test. And what they're really looking for too is, are they're looking maybe for certain traits that a person may exhibit, that would be things that they're looking for in the organization. And that, that could be, you know, these have become less expensive and some small companies can use them. I think that's another way to find out, you know, if, if a person is a right fit for your company or not.
1: The companies I work for did a lot of those. I mean, everybody that came through had to do one of those personality tests. And personally, I didn't put a lot of weight into them. I like to meet people, meet with them a couple times. Really, kind of get to sit down across the table and meet that person, because I've seen where the personality test was complete trash, and the person's awesome, right? They're just not good at at these these personality tests. I've seen where people have crushed the personality test, and they are just terrible salespeople, which was the role we were hiring for. So it was hard for me to put a lot of weight in there. There were times where it was exactly right, right? It wasn't all bad. It was it hit it and it was right. But I think. Kind of to your point with the behavioral questions, you can get to more of that mindset and understanding whether that person's a fixed mindset or a growth mindset um, and there are ways to do that through an interview process and you'll see if the person's a fixed mindset, if they're just a follower or did they come up with ideas how did they contribute to the organization? What did they do when they were there? Did they create a department or a task force or something within that organization? Those are things that tell you, yes, this person has a growth mindset they saw a situation or a problem and they then took a step further to help the organization solve the problem and make it better. Those things will help you, I think, throughout the interview process determine like, okay, this is a good person for my organization or not.
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, there can be an over reliance sometimes on these personality tests. That's something to be careful about. And I think that, you know, a lot of people put a lot of stock in a one thing and they 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 get fixated on that that's going to work. And I think it's a good point that you gotta try different things. Not everything's gonna work for everybody. Sometimes you gotta try different ones. And I think it is a combination of that, plus the interview itself, getting to know the person, asking the right questions, trying to pull out different behaviors, different stories about their background and what they've done. Those are all gonna be things that help you. Now, once you have somebody on staff that's working for you, how do you, as a business leader, continue to keep them on a growth trajectory growth mindset like through training, for example. And I know you're you're a small company. And so you're, you know, everybody's gonna be somewhat limited on what they could do in the beginning in terms of training. It's not like you have maybe a full-fledged training program, but as you look forward to maybe how your business grows, do you see different ways, whether it's sending them to a conference or whether it's just the language you use within the company or different things that you can do with them to continue to help train them and keep them on a solutions oriented path of they're growing, they're getting better, they're bringing the organization along, but they're also developing their career and not this fixed mindset track of, you know, that you don't want them to be toxic in your organization if you bring somebody else on. So are you thinking about that for your company?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it's just kind of being, allowing the employees to be open, right? Allowing them to bring ideas to me and not be concerned that like, I don't know if Mike's gonna like that or, or what, right? But really listening to their ideas. And then if they are good ideas that align with the goal of, that I have, the company has, then really spending the time, energy, efforts to implement what they talked about, right? And I think when you do that with an individual, they see like, oh, wow, I did this in this company and they were behind me and they let it happen and look how well it's working out. You create a better employee doing those things and, and the culture's better, right? Hopefully they'll bring other people in that are like you or like them. And so for me, like, so as far as the training goes, you're right, I've really done too much training. Um, we're starting to do a little bit of training now. But the person that I brought in, their mindset, their goals are already oriented with what I like to see within an individual. So, you know, we're on the same page. We're rolling. It's now this next person that we're interviewing now. It's like, okay, how do I get that person to be on the same page that we're on so that the ball can continue rolling forward? You know, and we'll we'll train an individual for – I mean, we're in a service business, right? So that's very easy to determine, you know, whether that person's gonna be able to provide good service. And if they're not, you'll see that very quickly within your organization, just phone calls will happen. So training that growth mindset, just always being allowing people to be open and bring ideas that they have to the management team or leader staff, whoever will will foster that.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm a big believer in training, constant training, constant learning, and training is just another word for learning. Obviously, smaller companies are going to be able to do less of this, you know, rightfully so. They're going to have less resources. But as a company grows, I think it's important to think about how you are going to train employees, continue to encourage learning, continue to encourage the growth mindset.
1: And support it, right? Like, Don't just encourage it. it but you know, yes. if it's going to be a conference that's going to cost you maybe a couple hundred bucks, if it's going to help that person grow, it's going to make your organization grow, just pay for it. Absolutely. Just send the person, let them go, get what they're going to get and come back to your organization and provide for you, right?
0: Absolutely. I think, you you know, putting resources behind what you say you're going to do is extremely important. You can't just talk about it. You have to put effort behind it. You have to structure something. If your company gets to the point where it's a certain size and you can really afford to formalize whatever it is that you're doing, you know, you should totally do that. And I think it's just to instill and encourage, uh, Uh, That that growth mindset, and I think the other thing too is some of the things we already talked about. You know, allowing dissent, allowing open communication. There's a another book out there by Ray Dalio. I, I have not read it. It's called Principles, I believe. I've heard a lot about it. This is another one of those books I've heard a lot about. Maybe do another podcast another time on this one. But one of the things that I took away from listening to him a little bit, and I'm not a Ray Dalio expert by any means, was one of the things that makes his company unique is he encourages this this dissent. You know, this this constructive dissent or whatever he calls it, where people are very open and direct with one another in meetings, regardless of how long you've been there, regardless of position, he sort of encourages this. It's like a true, true meritocracy that the best ideas win it doesn't matter where they come from. No one's chastised for having bad ideas. And I, I think that's another way that you can ensure that you keep the right people. Cause that, that type of culture isn't for everybody. Some people don't like one of the things when I heard him doing interviews is he loses people too because some people don't like that direct communication. They don't, you know, they don't like all that frankness sometimes, and th- sometimes it's not for everybody. So he, but that's the kind of people he wants. So it can we weed out some of the people that maybe aren't right, aren't the right fit, but it can also attract the people that are the right fit. It just depends on what's the culture that you're trying to build, and um, I think doing some of those things. Not everybody has to be Ray Dalio. I'm not suggesting that, but but that's another avenue to look at what he's doing, and I think lessons can be learned from, you know, encouraging at the very least, encouraging some uh, discussion, disagreement in a professional way, allowing ideas to bubble up to the top and not always be top down because the boss doesn't always know or have the right answer. Another thing too is like, do you work in a company where somebody can challenge or give the, the boss feedback? Because if you're in an organization where everybody's scared of the boss and you're scared to tell him or her, what you really think, or, or if you see a mistake that could potentially happen, you could be wrong, but do you feel like you have the freedom to discuss it, to bring it up? Because if you're fearful, that's a flag right there that maybe that culture is not right for you if, if what you're looking for is more openness and more transparency.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's fantastic because you're gonna bring in the right people right away, right, so if, like you said, those people, some people are just, they don't like that atmosphere. That's okay that's then you're just not a yeah. good fit, which is also okay, right? Yeah. It doesn't like doesn't have to be for everybody. Right, people look at it like, oh man, I didn't, I, that wasn't really for me. Well, that's okay. There's something else out there for you. You just, it, it didn't work out here. It didn't work out there. But yeah, I mean, I think that's a, we'll have to read that. We'll have to check that out.
0: To uh, wrap things up as a final thought, what is your, I guess, one of your takeaways, doesn't have to be the most important thing, but what's one thing that stands out to you in the book with this whole topic of mindset? What's something that you walk away with that just sticks
1: with you or that you can use or that you've already used? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the biggest thing was just recognizing that the growth mindset is something, or the fixed mindset is something that we can change. And then two, just my mindset in general, right? I've really been into kind of staying in a positive mindset and that has shown so much results for my business when I realized that maybe a deal or two didn't go the right way and I'm kind of like bummed down and I'm upset about it. It's okay, right? Get your mindset back right. Get back into it. It doesn't have to stay this way. Like keeping that positive mindset, recognizing when you're in a fixed mindset, that's a fixed mindset too, right? Like that deal didn't work out. None of these other deals are going to work out. This is all bad. The whole day is shot, right? Not necessarily the case. Like get back on the horse sticking that growth mindset every time you talk to somebody is a new opportunity to make a new client. And so for me, it was just kind of recognizing the mindset that I'm in and then recognizing the fact that like I'm stuck in a fixed mindset, get out of that fixed mindset, get back into the growth mindset and do things that are gonna get you to where you wanna be.
0: Yeah, I think my takeaways are very similar. One is exactly the same, which is that you can change the fixed mindset. That's one that really sticks out to me that we're not stuck on that forever, that it's absolutely changeable. And the other thing too, which is kind of similar to yours is, is that, you know, just to be able to take stock and self-evaluation, to be able to back up and say, how am I thinking about this right now? Am I be, I might be fixed mindset about something and not even realize it. And just the, the idea of being able to step away for a second and just look at it, almost like you're stepping back from yourself and just like looking at it. And that could happen at any time. It could happen in the moment. It could happen on your drive home from work. It could happen at the end of the night when you're getting ready to go to bed, whatever, just something happened and you're looking, you're like, man, how am I thinking about that? I didn't realize it's sort of automatic at this point. And something, that's something that, that stands out to me too. So, But Mike, thanks so much for being on the show today and for doing this episode and having this discussion. I really appreciate you being on.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great, appreciate it. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed
0: this episode please do me and the Pittsburgh small business community a huge favor by giving it a rating on your favorite podcast app. It really helps others to find the show so that we can continue to build our community. If you haven't subscribed yet, please do. And if you know someone who should be on the podcast, or you'd like to connect with me, you can reach me at proprietorsofpittsburgh.com or at 412-336-8247. I'm Darren Volano, and this is the Proprietors of Pittsburgh podcast. Take care.